Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Uh, Coastal Oaks, uh, I trust you had a wonderful Christmas, and I heard you had a great Christmas Eve service, and really, really encouraged by that, and um, Andy set the bar high because he said he didn't talk long, and uh, so that always makes it hard for uh, the preacher, and um, anyways, uh, uh, I'm also pleased to uh, not only be back with you this last Sunday of 2020, and thank you for being so kind and and gracious and hospitable, and uh, just have really uh, grown to to love and appreciate you and think about you often, particularly this season um, of your lives here as a church. And I didn't mention this last week, but... um, I know I talked about the staff. Of course, you need to be praying and encouraging your staff and your volunteers, as I know you do so well. But um, the pastor search team, uh, I didn't mention them last week. I don't think I did, but I, I always try to encourage the churches to be praying and mindful of that search team. If you're on the search team and you're here, uh, would you just raise your hand just for, for a second? Okay, we got we got a few. Um, I'm not. I can't remember how many are on the search team, but but these are your brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord that are laboring, that are sacrificing much, many hours spent away from the family. But transitioning from that, uh, next week is a is a new season, uh, uh, a, a short season maybe, several months. We have no idea what the Lord has in store for you, but. Uh, Dr. Chris Stapper will be here as your new interim pastor, and uh, I'm already praying for him. I don't know him, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how the Lord's going to use him and his ministry here as uh, you wait, await for your new senior pastor. <clears throat> it also brings me great joy to introduce my beautiful uh, ladies, my girls, my um, my wife Tabitha, right here uh, on the front row there in the blonde hair, and then my daughter Avery um, right there. So she's she's thirteen. She's in middle school, and um, I am I am fortunate. They let me hang out with them, and uh, <clears throat> some days at least. And then I have a twenty year old uh, son who's a junior at the University of North Texas. And uh, he's 20, and he doesn't travel with dad much anymore. So you guys understand, but uh, he's, he's watching the dogs. And um, anyways, grateful for uh, my ladies. We're going to be able to spend uh, a couple of days here, a few days, and getting to see some family on the way down, as well as tomorrow night. Uh, I have a cousin here that I hadn't seen in quite some time, ashamedly so on my part, Kathy Tullis. Um, I think she's a real estate uh, agent uh, in Rockport, and her husband, Brian. Looking forward to having dinner with them. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians, uh, specifically chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 5 through 18, as, as we um, continue this 
two-part series. Today would be the final sermon in this mini-series, an Advent story. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but you know we, we always sing the 12 Days of Christmas or whatever the title of that song is, but I don't know how many of you know or realize that uh, the 12 Days of Christmas, that song, if you actually were to study it and, and understand it, that the 12 Days of Christmas actually starts on Christmas and ends January 5th, 6th uh, with Epiphany. And uh, so we think it's 12 days maybe leading up. Maybe you already knew this, but um, so what, what I'm trying to suggest to you for many uh, in, in church life, particularly those that follow the church calendar, they would begin celebrating Christmas on Christmas Day and would run to Epiphany, which is really um, a manifestation of the Lord Jesus to the first Gentiles or the three kings as we have come to know them. But that Advent word, uh, if you remember from last week, that coming, uh, the anticipation, the arrival, um, that meaning there in the Latin, and, and typically the four Sundays leading up to, to Christmas, those four themes would be hope, love, joy, and peace. And we would have finished that last Sunday if we were following the Advent calendar. But I hope that you remember just by way of reminder through this passage that throughout the centuries, uh, this beloved scripture um, is most certainly an ancient hymn that the early church sang here in Philippians 2 to themselves, just like we experienced it with this incredible worship team. Um, But this ancient hymn has been referred to as the Christ hymn. So Philippians chapter 2, my main focus this morning will be 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And last week, we talked about Christ, the humble servant, Christ, the humbled servant, and Christ, the exalted master. So two extreme opposites that we see in verses 5 through 11. So let me read 5 through 11, as well as 12 through 18, we'll pray and get started. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his 
good pleasure. Do all things, church, without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I, Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, Lord, would you quiet our hearts and our minds and our spirits this morning? Lord, I pray for those who are tired. I pray for those who are discouraged. I pray for those who are searching. And Father, I am grateful that you have brought us together once again this last Sunday of 2020. Lord, I know many like me are ready for this year to be over. As we begin a a new chapter, a new season, a new year, Father, chances are it will be much of the same. But even through that, whether it is the same or whether it is different, whether it is good or whether it is bad, as we echo the words of the Apostle Paul later in this book, Philippians 4, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ, with Christ, because of Christ, who strengthens me. That word, contentment. May it be found in us. Would you draw us to you, Father? And Lord, lastly, if there be anybody here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with your son, Jesus, I pray you would prick their hearts this morning, that they would fall deep in love and in relationship with you. We commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Two things this morning. As we mentioned last week, the humbled servant and the exalted master. Two things this morning I want to draw to your attention in Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And they are simply this, the Christian's work and the Christian's witness. So we saw Christ last week as he does throughout all of Scripture and throughout all of time and creation where it is about him. That being said, there is a responsibility that falls on you and I. Those who have a relationship with the Father, those who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you are deep and you are profound and you are knowledgeable of his word and his ways, or whether you are like I was for 13 years after coming to faith in Christ, drifted and living a life of disobedience, living a life distant from the one who has given me life, as Andy had prayed this morning, that has given me breath, that has given my heart a beat. There is a certain responsibility for us not to just come and gather, if you will, on a weekly basis or 
several times a week, as some of you do, there is a certain responsibility, a weighty responsibility it is, a daunting task I feel often on my shoulders. So this word is not only for the church at Philippi, Some 2,000 years ago, uh, may I remind you that Paul was in a Roman jail, most likely under house arrest or maybe in a four-squared jail, shackled, previously beaten, most likely hungry for a real meal. And yet we find joy all throughout this scripture. If you notice, I didn't pray for all of our problems to go away in 2021. For those of you who have lived for many years, those of you who have seen hardship, you understand that the Christian life isn't about ease. There is nothing about ease that resonates with those people found between the pages of Genesis and Revelation. And yet, even through history, we see this. So where does this leave us? After the humbled servant, the exalted master, where does this leave us? It leaves us here, the Christian's work and the Christian's witness. Look at verses 12 and 13. This is where we find our work. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, coastal oaks, as you have always obeyed. I like the encouragement here. We see beloved, we see this kinship, we see this love that the Apostle Paul has for this church, albeit a decade has been removed since the founding of this church. As you have always obeyed. Can you imagine as a parent telling your kids, leaving the house, as you have always obeyed? Paul is not naive here. Paul is an encourager. He speaks truth in love. What was that quote last week from Warren Wiersbe? Um, Truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. Paul knows how to dance through the emotions of the human heart. He says, therefore, my beloved, he literally is speaking to the church at Philippi, still applicable to you and I today, as you have always obeyed, Alex. (laughs) Not even as a 47-year-old. I have witnesses here. (laughs) So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Watch this. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation, not those of others, but your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? This sense of awe and this sense of respect, this sense of urgency. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not for your pleasure, Alex, not for your own desires. Don't misunderstand the words of the Apostle Paul. The Christian work. He says, therefore, that word therefore is is a conjunction, right? It is a conjunctive adverb, right? It connects and modifies what we read and studied last week. English was not my strong suit, so Google helped me remember that. Any English teachers here? 
Any English majors here? Some of you are here. He says, therefore, it's modifying, right? He says, my beloved, that word, my beloved, that uh, 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 agape is really where we get that word. So this fatherly love that Paul is filling with the church. He says, it's not an emotion, but it's an action. Similar to that of John chapter 3 and verse 16, you know the verse. Therefore, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. What an incredible promise. That dragon slayer, the God in flesh, Emmanuel with us. But Paul is not speaking of an emotion because you and I, we do well, particularly as Baptists, right? Uh, Well, for many of us, right? The heart, the emotion. But he's speaking of an action here. He's speaking of obedience. Obedience past, but also obedience future. Let's be honest. As an old preacher would say, if if we were to somehow... Uh, point our thoughts and our life history onto the to the screens. What would it say? What would we see? What would others see? <clears throat> Last week we saw Christ live to die. Right, He was born a martyr. And this week we see we're called to die so that we might live. Let, let me let me explain that. He lived to die as a martyr so that we might die to live. As gruesome as that may sound and unpleasant and uncomfortable. My wife and I have this thing that we do when we travel. We like to, and I pray this isn't blasphemous or disrespectful, but um, we like to drive through cemeteries. Maybe some of you can relate My daughter doesn't particularly care for it because she's usually stuck with us. But even if she's with us or not, we like to drive through cemeteries. Anybody else do that? Okay, a couple of you are at least willing to admit it. Why do you think we like to do that? Because it brings a sense of perspective. That every single one of us have a certain amount of breaths that we're going to take a certain amount of heartbeats that would beat in our chest. Some more than others and some not nearly as long as we would like. But what it does is when we drive through those cemeteries and we get out and we look at those headstones, we try with all of our heart to be respectful. But what it does is it brings this sense of finality, this mortality that life is but a vapor. And it brings perspective to my life and to her life. We don't do it for for sheer entertainment. We do it to see how and how long these have lived and, and just to think about the lives that they live regardless of how young or old they might be. And, and every uh, so often, well, not every so often, it is guaranteed that we will stumble across those who fought in battle, our soldiers. 
There's typically a flag, flowers, and some headstones are are newer than others, and some are well done and, and taken care of. You can tell with love and care. But I tend to be drawn to the older ones that I can't even read. I don't know. I'm not trying to be weird about it, but it just brings perspective. And then I'll look up the time that they died and and seeing that some were born and lived during uh, Abraham Lincoln's presidency or any other presidency. I I tend to be fascinated with history. But those that we can remember, those in our lives, it it is those in past and future. And Paul is speaking to a sense of obedience here. And I wonder the lives that they live. And every often, every so often, I'll stumble across a reverend on a tombstone, and I'll Google that name to see if they're well-known. And I have found some well-known preachers, at least in the community, and the lives that they live, <clears throat> and thankful. And Paul is speaking of this sense that, that whether I'm here or whether I'm not, this sense of obedience. And then he transitions to work out your own salvation, right? Work out your own salvation. Let me, let me just explain this, this nuance here. He doesn't say work for your salvation. There's a significant difference here for you and I. He says, work out your own salvation, not work for your salvation. Ephesians 2 and 8, it is a free gift that you and I do not deserve. As a matter of fact, there is nothing you and I can do or say to earn the love of Jesus Christ. Even more so, the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is He And through his sacrifice on an old rugged cross, you see, he was born to die so that we might die to live. It is a free gift. And, and And then he says, work out your own salvation. Really, this sense of cultivating that free gift. You and I are to cultivate it. There was a time that I used to work out. Right? I know it's hard to believe. But there was a time before the Lord really grabbed hold of my neck and, 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 and said, no more running, Alex. You are to serve my bride as, as, as sinful and unrighteous and unholy as you are. You are to serve my bride. And the year was 2000. I was in the fitness industry. Have I shared this story with you before? This is shocking. I was in the fitness industry. <laughs> I used to train people. They call them personal trainers, Billy. I used to do that. Like I used to design workouts for people. And, and, and it really started with athletes. Andy, did you, is Andy, Andy, did you know this? You couldn't tell by looking? <laughs> I used to like work out and train people. I loved it. I thought I was going to do it for the rest of my life. And they paid me for it. <laughs> That was the crazy thing. They're like, here's your check, sir. I'm like, well, like, really? And uh, I used to work out, too. I wasn't a bodybuilder. I did more powerlifting. Powerlifting was cool because you could eat what you want and just lift heavy, and that was it. My, body pay, my body's paying for it now, I'll tell you. Getting out of the bed, I'm like, knees 
cracking and back hurting. And anyways, but the same essence, we're to cultivate that gift. And, and if I wasn't working out, I wasn't being faithful, or if I wasn't helping people cultivate that gift that they had paid me for, I wasn't being faithful. The same thing, you are to work out your own salvation. Let me say it in one word, sanctification. You're to be striving, pursuing a relationship with the Father. It is not once and done, loved ones. But he says with fear and trembling, that's reverence, that's awe, that's a sense of watchfulness and dependence on the Father. He's saying, don't let your guard down. And in verse 13, it says, God... It's his work in you. He's the agent, and you and I are the actors, if you will. To will his desire, to work his activity. It is not about you and me. I like this quote by the great theologian Maya Angelou. She wasn't a theologian. She was a poet and an activist. Maybe was, I don't know, but quoted by many. She says, nothing will work unless you do. See, your Christian life, although you work through dependence on the Father, there is a sense of cultivation to work out our own salvation. And as much as you and I want to work out the salvation of others, (laughs) I tend to be really good at that (laughs) while disregarding my own. Not for you, Avery, not for my daughter, right? I'm here to be her parent, (laughs) right? And not for the other kids and their parents, right? There's a sense of responsibility. We have those under our care, and and, and your pastors are to help with this, right? But you you get what he's saying. Listen, it's not about you. I like this quote from Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback, author of Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, loved by many and and maybe not uh, a few others. He says this, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own fulfillment or happiness. And he gets a lot of beef, right, for not being theologically deep and and rooted and sounded. And and, and you can argue that for me and, and him and others, I'm sure. But listen, listen, he goes on. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own fulfillment or happiness. You exist not for your own fulfillment or happiness. This is pretty heavy. He says it's far greater than your family, your career, your dreams, or your ambitions. If you want to know your purpose, you must begin with God. This is for those who know him. And this is for those who have drifted from him, who feel far from him. And I would submit to you that this is for those who don't know him just yet. The Christian's work. Look, look, it's, well, let me move on to my second point and then I'm gonna bring it back together with just a few pages to your right. So look at verses 14 through 18. So we've seen the Christian's work. Now we see the Christian's witness, our work and our witness. Aren't they the same? Well, yes, maybe, but it works, right? Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. 
he must not be speaking to us Baptists. I'm like, and, and I'm the chief of grumblers. Do some things without grumbling, Alex. <clears throat> no, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. My goodness. That you may be blameless. Why, Paul? That you may be blameless and innocent. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about progression, right? Be innocent children of God. Look, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among, among whom you shine. Coastal Oaks, this is your witness that you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you be glad and you rejoice in me. So we move from the Christian's work to the Christian's witness. Do all things without grumbling. Literally without murmuring. Murmuring murmuring about God. Murmuring about others. I think it's better described as one commentator stated, finding petty fault in others. It's amazing how, how... how I magnify the sins of others, but minimize the sins of myself. Please tell me I'm not the only one. What others do seems to be much worse than what I do. The same grace and mercy I want extended to me when I mess up whether small or big, must be the same grace and mercy I extend to others when they mess up, whether small or big. He says, without grumbling, right? Without murmuring, right? Uh, Like just whether it be private or open. And don't mask the grumbling about God and others through prayer. I have succeeded well at that often. And then he says, without questioning. What he means here is without hesitation to God's will, right? And, and let, me, let me say it to you like this, that when, when you ask somebody to do something to, to serve or to witness or whatever, and, and then people say, I, I need to pray about it. There should never be a moment where we stop to pray about serving and witnessing, working for the Lord, witnessing for the Lord. And I'm speaking Again, to myself, I'm reminded of Exodus chapter 16, where where the children of Israel, where they they grumbled and they questioned, they murmured and they hesitated. In this new season, where you have a new interim beginning, he paves the way with your incredible leadership already established here. It is his job to pave the way for the next senior lead pastor. And I submit to you that this would be a good place to start this for us. Why? That we might be blameless, that we might be innocent children of God, that we might shine as lights in the world. Just hold your place there, just quickly. Matthew chapter 5, real quick, I promise. Y'all don't have anywhere to go, I know. 
<clears throat> Andy told me so. I'm just kidding. He, he's heading north. He's heading back to my area. Matthew 5, verse 13. Sorry, I pick on Andy. Others. I really got to stop that. I'm always drawing people into the talk here. Matthew 5, verse 13. Speaking of this, he says, and by the, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is the sermon. This is uh, um, the Beatitudes, right? This is Jesus speaking to a Jewish crowd, right, who had, had been trained and, and, and had heard other teachings. <clears throat> and this idea of how to deal with uh, uh, anger and lust and loving your enemies. And he says this at the very beginning, maybe as an introduction, sitting on a side of a hill. He says, you are the salt of the earth, <clears throat> coastal oaks. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This metaphor, this vivid language and picture he is painting for those of us who are Christ followers. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, not, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your good works bring glory to the Father. The Christian works, the Christian witness. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, hold fast. Hold fast to the word of life, right? Hold fast to the word that you have cherished, that you have loved, that you have grasped his holy scripture when all else fails you. That fulfillment when all else leaves you. This brings us hope. Not that there's some magical power, but that word of life, that spirit, that Jesus, he is the word. He says, hold fast. I think last week I mentioned the movie Gladiator, didn't I? Yeah. What I didn't mention was one of the opening lines where Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, or Maximus says with his soldiers, he says, hold the line. And then at my signal, unleash Hades. And the soldiers went into battle, defending, conquering. And this idea for us to hold fast to the word of life. People will disappoint you. Your church will disappoint you. And I submit to you that your pastor, even your interim pastor, at some point will say or do things that offend or hurt you. Might I suggest to you at some point you will do or say something that offends or hurts your pastors, your staff, your leaders. That's not the issue, loved one. That's not the issue. The issue is not whether we will upset each other or hurt each other. You, you do that at home. 
So why don't we expect it here? That's not the issue. You will get on each other's nerves. You will disappoint others. That's what being a family is. That's not the issue. The issue is how we respond to it. Does that make sense? Grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. It's, that becomes our witness. That's what drives people out of the church. We must join well and we must leave well. We as modern evangelicals, we could stand to join the church a little better. What I mean by that is not just walking an aisle, not just saying a prayer, but, but, but literally, intentionally walking through with leadership, making sure this is the place the Lord has planted us to, to serve in work and in witness. But the same can be said for our departure. I don't know why I'm saying this. But what we do, and COVID has, has made, made this painfully obvious, we, we drift off into the shadows. And we disappear hoping no one will ever see me or call me again until we run into each other at the HEB. God bless HEB. <laughs> I want an HEB so bad in McKinney. She said, my wife driving here, she, why do you like H-E-B so much? Listen, like Chick-fil-A is anointed, H-E-B is anointed. You, you may not. Last week it was Bucky's, now it's H-E-B's. I have, what's going on here? You may not realize how good you've got it. It's the holy of holies of grocery stores. But he says, hold fast to the day of Christ. Right? It's our work, our witness. And maybe that's joining a church. Maybe that's departing a church. Like departing well, right? With the blessings of the staff and the pastors and the leaders. So we're not embarrassed when we run into each other at HEB. He says, until the day of Christ that, that I may be poured out, like sacrificing for others. Listen, if you don't do anything in life, it, it, you, you can wrestle with this thought right here. Am I making the life of those around me and who I come in contact with better because of my influence? Not for my glory, but for the Father's. That poured out as a drink offering, literally Old Testament language, wine poured out of a vessel onto an altar of sacrifice. And then he says, because I am glad and rejoice, we too are to be glad and rejoice. It is the Christian's work. It is the Christian's witness. You and I are to go and to make disciples. I know my time is gone, but let me just read a couple of things to you. One from C.S. Lewis, and then I'm going to share just briefly, quickly, about Lottie Moon. Billy did such a good job of that presentation. But listen to these words on this idea of uh, uh, work and witness. <clears throat> he says, The work of Beethoven and the work of a maid become spiritual on precisely the same condition. Whether you're Beethoven or whether you're a housekeeper, they become spiritual on precisely the same condition that of being offered 
to God of being done humbly as to the Lord. This does not, of course, mean that it is for anyone a mere toss-up whether he should sweep rooms or compose symphonies. A mole must dig to the glory of God and a rooster must crow. I know I said I was done, but Colossians 3, I'm just reminded of this. Colossians 3, you, you know, you can read the whole chapter, but verse 17, it, it made me think of this. <clears throat> and Paul says to the church at Colossian, whatever you do in word or deed, <laughs> same motif, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lottie Moon, who was born in 1840, 1841, over a hundred years ago, a single missionary served China by writing letters challenging the American church to send and support more workers to go to China. This is what formalized the offering she's named after, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. She gave her life to the Chinese people. She turned down a marriage proposal to serve the Lord. Whether you are a layman here or whether you're a vocational minister, whatever your context, whatever you do, may the people that we have contact with, interact with here and without, see our work and our witness to the glory of the Father. Every head bowed and every eye closed.